It's Monday, June 18th, 2018. I'm Jeremiah Zimmerman, and this is episode 165 of the 5049 podcast. How you guys doing? You all right? Thank you for joining us for another conversation between myself and another musician. And I got to ask you, what do you know about Patrick Holmes? Patrick Holmes is on the show today, and I will just start by saying that Patrick is one of my favorite people around. He's a fucking excellent, amazing, unique clarinetist, and just an all-around funny and enjoyable person, and I'm very happy to be able to present today's conversation. Patrick Holmes is with us, and it's a good one. Before we get into it, look, man, this Wednesday, the day after tomorrow, June 20th, me and Peter Evans going at it head-to-head in a conversation in front of an audience in Brooklyn, New York, and I want you to be there. Hold on. I'm going to turn the fan on because it's really hot in here. Peter, you guys know Peter. He is, you know, without exaggeration, maybe the greatest trumpet player around. He was on episode 65 of this show, an episode that many people loved. He has been on several of my records. His own records are like some of the greatest music in uh, contemporary improvised music. And this Wednesday, he's presenting a new ensemble at Arate the venue where I'm now hosting these live 5409 podcasts. New band with Shana Dunkelman, Maz Swift, Clara Latham, and Ron Stabinski. They'll do a set, and then Peter and I will get into it. If you guys don't know Peter's playing, it's the best around. And if you don't know Peter as a person, he's one of the funnier people I know. So it's going to be a good night, and I want to see you guys there. This Wednesday, June 20th, Arte, 67 West Street, Brooklyn, New York. Be there. Patrick Holmes. Do you know Patrick? I have to imagine that for some of you, the answer is no. And I imagine and assume that because Patrick, his output, despite the fact that he's been in New York for, I don't know, 20 years, and despite the fact that he has a dedication to his instrument that I see uh, among very few people, he's never put out a record of his own. Um, he, He plays a lot. He stays active, but he keeps a low profile. And this is something that, that I and other people I know uh, who know Patrick have want, we, it's it's something we've wanted to see change for a while. And let me, let me expand on that. Um, I first met Patrick in 2007. Uh, It was one of Zorn's improv nights. John had invited Ryan Sawyer, the great drummer, to come down and and join us for some music. And Ryan brought Patrick along. And uh, I felt uh, very quickly, I felt a a kinship with Patrick. We're both self-taught clarinetists. We both started on the electric bass. We both have an enthusiastic love for, in, in equal, equal measures, for, for Jimmy Jufri and John Carter, 
for the band Siege, The Accused, for Xenakis and Radulescu. Our shit is very much sort of entwined in the same uh, 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 potion and ingredient list. Patrick and I have both worked in the service industry for a very long time. And there was a period of time um, about two years ago where Patrick and I uh, literally worked across the street from each other for, for a good two years. Um, at bo- and I have to say, you know, it's worthy of mention that both places we were working were, were New York Lower East Side institutions. Russ and Daughters and Max Fish. Uh, and, and, and a really great friendship that that I value very much has, has, has come into being in the last couple of years. And I just adore Patrick. I adore his playing. Um, I adore how hard he is on himself and how hard he commits himself to getting better at his instrument. I don't, I, I will tell you, you know, I run with a lot of different musicians in a lot of different circles and I don't know anyone who, puts themselves through it like Patrick does. He takes this shit so seriously. You know, he, he's really one of the first people I ever met who, you know, the great um, Val Wilmer book that was recently reissued, As Serious As Your Life, you know, when I, when I, when I meet someone like Patrick, I'm like, oh, she must have uh, met someone like that to, to, to call the book that, you know. He's originally from Texas, um, from Austin, and we talk a good deal about Texas today, not about Austin, but about this very unusual and strange thing that I, I'm sure there's an explanation for it, but I don't know what it is. Uh, for whatever reason, the Dallas-Fort Worth area of Texas, where I've been a couple of times, I've played a couple of times, has produced, uh, and all within 10 years of each other, Ornette Coleman, John Carter, Jimmy Jufri, uh, and Charles Moffitt. And probably many others I'm, 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 I'm not uh, mentioning right now. Masters, innovators of, of 20th century music. and So we talk about that a bit today. But going back to something I said um, a second ago, I want Patrick to put his shit out there more. He's so serious about music that he works on it uh, obsessively. And I asked him about it today, and I think his answer is pretty good. But I, you know, I will say here publicly... If Patrick ever wants to do a record on uh, and put it out, I will be the first person to put it out on my on my little label five zero four nine. He's just a fabulous musician, a great guy, one of the most enthusiastic people I know. We've been able to play together a bit this past year. Uh, I wrote a piece for four clarinets, and of course, Patrick was the first person I wanted involved, and and I really, you know, even though our friendship is is kind of new. Uh, I, I really see Patrick as a brother. He's someone that I really adore. And, you know, for people that know Patrick, whether it's other musicians or, or people in, you know, the bar and nightlife scene in New York, anyone who knows Patrick loves Patrick. So I'm happy for, for today's episode to finally be happening. I would tell you to uh, go to his website, but there ain't one. So you're gonna have to you're gonna have to look him up and and and, and go maybe see him at a show. Um, he actually a record did just come out recently that he's on and he sounds fucking smoking on it. It's a record with Daniel Carter, uh, Federico Uggi, and a few others. And, and I'm sure I just butchered the last name. Um, go get it. It's on five seven seven records, not to be confused with five zero four nine records. And let me just say once again, 
I, I, I couldn't be more enthusiastic about another musician. Yes, it's a clarinet thing, um, but it's just also, you know, I dig solid cats, and that's what Patrick is. Come out to the show this Wednesday with me and Peter. Um, I want these things to be to be full, so come out. And uh, I'll be going on tour in a couple of weeks. I don't know if I've mentioned that, but if you live in uh, uh, New York, D.C., Asheville, Richmond, uh, I'm coming for you. Go to the website. Check out the dates. All right. Um, that's it. Hope you guys are all cool. Here's my conversation with Patrick Holmes. <laughs> never been able to get that. I have that say that Jimmy G3 talks and plays. You know where I got that? Bought it um, at Tower, no, at Virgin Megastore when it was still on 14th Street. You know how much I paid for that? $1.99. It's pretty fucking spectacular. I mean, Jufri wasn't from Texas. He was from Oklahoma, I think. No, he was from Fort Worth. Jimmy Jufri was from Fort Worth? Fort Worth yes. Are you Let's certain of that? Up, yeah. Let's look it up. <clears throat> I'm almost certain. I thought he was... Uh, Sam Rivers is from Oklahoma. Sam Rivers is from Oklahoma. Yeah. Wait, look this up. I was born in the, I'm looking it up. It's my fucking dude. I mean, I know he went to uh, UNT in Denton. Yep. Uh, April 26, 1921, Dallas, Texas. Jesus. All right. So let's make the list real fast because that's John Carter, Ornette Coleman, Charles Moffitt, um, uh, Jimmy Jufri. Free. Was Bobby Bradford originally from Texas? I think he's originally from L.A. Okay. I could be wrong, but there's something. And those you guys know, are all I'm born a, within I'm 10 a, years of uh, each other. Um, what's wrong with me? Um, um, well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Teddy Wilson was born in Austin. Yeah, but I'm talking yeah, specifically like, about the yeah, Dallas-Fort Worth, Fort Worth area. area. Yeah. 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 I mean, yes, there is UNT there, but these guys... Yeah. They they didn't. That, that's all. I mean, these dudes were all born in the twenties, and they were born there. They didn't there come to UNT. Mm-hmm. So I I wonder if, and I'm not smart enough to even like describe this, but if a study could be made uh, about how schools, public schools, were funded, and mm-hmm. how the the result is like musicians yeah, of this you extraordinary had musicians caliber coming out with really good musicianship. And not only that, they were getting the ear training, the aesthetic thing but along with it beyond good musicianship. I mean, yeah. you're talking about people who literally like change, change, change the course of music, music in the 20th century. Yeah. Like a, a, a disproportionately you know high what? number I think of them. It's also that era of being around. Like, I mean, uh, what people would say, isn't that PC nowadays, but uh, Steve Lacey quote, he's like, well, all the giants died and the midgets took over. (laughs) 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 Steve Lacey said, but like, you know, it's a different thing when you had, you know, people like Duke Ellington around and, I mean, the whole gamut of all these great people around, Mm -hmm. it was different, Mm -hmm. you know, and you had like, not only from Louis Armstrong's time up to the sixties, you had Albert Eiler and all these people and all these people were still alive. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like different. It's just a whole different ball game, you know? Right. And what do you attribute that to? It was valued the, the public. The ear mm-hmm. at the time. You know, you think of like the cha-cha craze and stuff. People were like, you think of all those folkways records, the height of all that stuff coming out was the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Yeah. You know, and where it was like, 
and you know you don't have social media where everything's like quick you know like you had people i mean it was just kind of more open in a weird way to think about it and now we have all this at our fingertips in the way the human brain works when you have an unlimited amount of things in front of you the mind limits things even more as opposed to having like 50 or 100 things yeah you have billions of i mean the stuff like you know you're old enough now like the amount of stuff that you can find on youtube that i only read about or heard about so i was just thinking about that this morning like i was watching a video of coltrane this morning and i was like wait a second when i was first getting into coltrane and whatever other music i was into like you had to know someone who had a vhs copy of some stuff like what a luxury to be able to see anything that's ever been shot yeah because i remember like you know this guy i knew rasha back in uh austin Uh texas you know, he had worked with the Sun Ra like in the 80s and stuff, but he had like, you know, uh, David Sanborn's night music. Yeah. So like showed me some of that stuff, like World Saxophone Quartet right. and stuff like that. And seeing that, you know, you're just like seeing it though. It's like that, like with every, I mean, I got, you're a movie guy, right? Mm-hmm. I was uh, thinking a lot about Ben Kingsley recently. Mm-hmm. So I went on YouTube and I was watching interviews and videos. I love that of, movie Mona Lisa for some reason. He's a fucking dude. He's so ben awesome. Kingsley, I saw him walking down the street one day on um, over by the Met. No, I'm thinking that's not Ben Kingsley. That's uh, what's his name? What? Other British actor, short guy that was in uh, Roger Rabbit. Oh, Bob Hoskins. That's Bob yeah, Hoskins. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, but I I saw Ben Kingsley walking down the street and I literally stopped and like shit in my pants yeah. like right there on yeah. Fifth Avenue. He looked at me and he just gave me this look like I know. I yeah. know. No, but I, so I, was, I I found this video of him um, accepting the Academy Award uh, in like eighty three or eighty four for Gandhi, mm-hmm. and they're reading the nominees, and it's like fucking it's uh, Paul Newman for the verdict, mm-hmm. and it's Ben Kingsley, and it's all these guys, and the directors are like Sidney Lumet and and Richard Attenborough, and it's yeah. like. Oh yeah, like there was a time was heavy. when yeah everything was heavy. Yeah. Not everything, but like but yeah, there that's was this, all heavy, heavy. You know what? It's also it wasn't the ultimate fascination or viewpoint of like youth. You know, you were like what adult. You, you when you think about like movies in nineteen thirties, forties, or whatever, and you see like a party situation. I remember watching that movie Naked City, mm-hmm. and they show like a little shot of like people having a good time. They're all much older. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't like this youth thing. You know. Uh, and I mean, youth is great. I'm 43 now. I don't want to be 20 again. Mm-hmm. It's much better for me now in some in a lot of respects. And uh, experience isn't, no one cares. You know, if you can pop up and hit it hard real quick, make a billion dollars, and you're the hottest new thing for two days. But like, when you think of like people, I mean, so many like great players, composers, actors that have really, you work it out. Yeah. Like Lynn Redgrave in uh, Gods and Monsters, which I don't like Brendan Fraser. Right. But Ian McKellen's in it. That's the reason why I went to go see it. Uh, but Lynn Redgrave has small parts and she's his maid, uh, uh-huh. Ian McKellen. But her acting small parts is just like unbelievable. And that's experience, that stage, and that's going through it that she can like wedge in these little hairline cracks of time in a movie that's not that great. And it's just like, shit. Yeah. You know? And like, there's a video of Ben Webster and Charlie Shaver talking about stuff that you can find on uh, YouTube of uh, Charlie Shaver's and Ben Webster playing in, uh, I think, Stardust. Mm-hmm. And what Charlie Shaver does, I watch that all the time. 
I mean, what but is that, that way of experience? You know, like, you know, so if, crazy. if you talk specifically about jazz and how people would would receive it, you know, going back many, going back to the generation of guys that we were just talking about mm-hmm. from Fort Worth, you, you know, word would, you'd, wherever you lived in the United States, you know, word would get out about so-and-so mm-hmm. and they would tour and they would come to a city and play for, you know, five nights or whatever it is mm-hmm. and people would go every fucking night and know. they would hang on every note that the musicians mm-hmm. were playing and they had you know they, they didn't just listen to 12 records that day yeah. and watch you know two hours of youtube and this that and the other it was like they were yeah and you're it getting up. it it's different i mean i think about like growing up in austin and going to see shows you know especially a lot of the uh, underground hip-hop stuff at that time and um, even like more so uh wait was that the first shit for you hip-hop uh, uh, you know, well, what my parents listened to popular music, they like the Commodores, you know, like, um, you know, uh, wait, you, so you grew up in Austin. I grew up in Austin. You're, uh, one of triplet. You're a triplet. No, 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 no. Uh, two sets of twins. I'm that from the old. That is really out to me. There's a lot of twins on both sides of the family. Like my dad's brother had two sets of twins and my grand maternal grandmother's a twin and her aunts were twins. And it's like a lot. But, you know, before in vitro fertilization became the norm, most twins, the most twins born in the world are in sub-Saharan Africa. And obviously that's, I've that's probably come from that. Right. You know, so. Uh, but what do, you, what do they know what accounts for that? I don't, I have no idea. All right. But so you, you grew up in Austin proper. Yeah. Born and raised. And your dad was military? He's military. military. So yeah. we lived in South Florida for a while, and that was quite a shock. South Florida? Yeah, South Florida. Florida. Around, around, yeah, but like uh, 85 to 90. Uh. You're talking about like Miami Vice yeah. style? Yeah. My, Maxwell, my dad's cousin was the uh, props guy for Miami Vice. <laughs> <laughs> for real. So that's an important show. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I loved Miami Vice. I hated Miami Vice. I loved Miami Vice. I always Vice. felt like... Like, I remember as a kid, I was always really scared of adults. Yeah. And I would watch that that show specifically, yeah. and I was like, these people seem really gross and sleazy, and I don't ever want oh, to yeah, be an adult. so gross. So gross, right? I Don mean, Johnson's <laughs> gross, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, he's so gross. He's so I gross. I mean, they're, 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 the soundtrack by Jan Hammer, I mean, everything just reeks of With, cocaine. Well, it's <laughs> It's just like, but all these dumb hipsters <laughs> that like love and celebrate that vibe now. It's like, yeah, how? it's like, but you see kids walking around in like quiet riot t shirts and stuff now, like, you know, or Skid Row. I mean, that those bands aren't then. good. It sucked in, you know. But also about like the music in Austin. I saw all the like, you know, punk and stuff of that time. All right, so wait, all right, so so Austin is where you grew up, not mm-hmm. South Florida, and. But Florida was when I was like a became a teenager, and that's when me and my brother started skateboarding, getting deep into that. But realm. your brother's not your twin. No, he's my older brother, and he got me into everything. And so, wait, 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 real quick, so you have a twin sister. Twin sister, my younger sisters are twins, and both sets of twins are year and eleven months apart. Oh, you mean your younger sister that you were born at the same time with? I have a twin sister. Look, okay. <laughs> Candace is my twin sister. Yes. We're nine minutes apart. Right. Shelly and Shannon are twins. They're six minutes apart. And they're older. No, they're younger. Okay. Candace and I are the older set of twins. And so both sets are a year and 11 months apart. Four kids total. Five. Five. Your older brother. Brothers, okay, now you're older. Right, right, yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> Does he feel left out? Well, you- yeah, you know, when we were kids, some of the times we used to say stuff like, uh, you don't have twin power and stuff like that. But I was always grouped with him because we were the two dudes, you know? Right. 
you know. The boys. Yeah. The boys. I, I, you know, uh, I felt like uh, with my parents, you know, my sisters kind of had a special place. Sure. In the family, especially with my dad, mm-hmm. you know. And I think I used to drive my dad crazy because I was nutcase. You the only musician? Yeah, but you know, as I grew up, my dad told me that he had a whole group of cousins that all played several instruments. Sure. And my dad's from Cuthbert, Georgia. Where? Cuthbert, Georgia. The South Georgia? Ooh, super South. It's like, creepy down like, there. Like lynching South of Georgia. Yes. Um, uh, and uh, so my dad's from down there. Uh, and you know who else is born there that I could possibly be related to? Uh, Fletcher Henderson is from Cuthbert, Georgia. How do you think you're related to him? I mean, those are small communities. <clears throat> Almost all of the black people in those communities are related somehow. Yeah, through marriage. I know it. It's weird. Yeah. They know like, oh, so-and-so's cousin was... Yeah, so, I mean, I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. But maybe that's where I get that jazz bug. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, well, I... Uh, fuck. We'll, we'll go back to Austin, but I remember the first time I met you was at that Zorn Improv night, like yeah. ten years ago, maybe. Yeah. And something I feel very close, like a kinship to you, is mm. we both started on bass, but as yeah. uh, more de- somewhat developed musicians decided that the clarinet was the instrument. Yeah. All right. You know, clarinet for me, my friend Carl Smith. I was playing upright bass. That's my favorite instrument. That was your first instrument was electric or upright? no electric. Yeah. But uh, I got this like weird upright. And I started playing that, and uh, I just love the upright bass. Do you still have it? No. Nah, I sold it when I moved here. Yeah. But my friend Carl Smith had a clarinet, and I was like, can I borrow it? And uh, he was like, oh, you can have it. And I could immediately like play a C major scale on it. It was just felt right. Yeah. And I would never be a sax player. You know, it's like much as I like sax players, uh-huh. it's just not the instrument for me. I have a alto at my house that i've never picked up as we speak yeah um clarinet's it clarinet for me like it's just clarinet how old were you when you made the switch uh i was about like 24 i started late yeah um um and then you know i messed around with it i mean i practiced a lot but it's like you know how it is when you're starting out and it's like and i took lessons from this really great classical guy down in texas i'm no here uh, who? Uh, this guy, Andre Malowski, who's like a master of Carpathian music. That's how I met him. Playing, I went to go see this thing of Romanian music uh, that he was playing, but like Moldovian, Ukrainian, all that stuff. That I mean, playing is crazy. But he's an unbelievable classical player. Yeah. He's a strange dude, but like uh, an amazing player. And is he he's, still around? Yeah, he's still around. Uh, he lives upstate now. Uh-huh. But uh, I, mean, uh, I mean, a great like classical player but you begin to see the difference because too much of that for me once it started getting under i had to let it go what's that 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 i love classical music i love harold Wright, sabine meyer i love all uh-huh. those players but just for what they're playing but that's not where i'm coming out of right far as clarinet music i'm coming out of the jazz tradition uh in a lot of like like greek mm-hmm. music like uh, you know perkis halkaius no Ooh. oh yes yeah, yeah, he's nasty. Ooh. Nasty, 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 nasty. What are nasty. you doing? What is that? There's a little clip of this documentary on him in Astoria. Really? From the 80s on YouTube. <laughs> I can't handle it. You can't handle it. I'm not going to even turn you on. I don't want you to make you feel bad about yourself. It's like that. Disgusting. Just, Just like, disgusting. what are you doing? It's like, 
and one of the things is is like with somebody like Albert Ayler or like uh, uh, um, Johnny Hodges, uh-huh. the vocalization of the instrument where somebody is literally talking, it's beyond the instrument, has always grabbed me more than anything. Mm-hmm. You know. So who was the first clarinetist you heard that you said that's it? Well, um, okay, I don't, I can't really. I mean, I liked. You know, I like trad stuff. You yeah. know, I liked uh, John, uh, Johnny Dodds and Pee Wee Russell. I, I love a lot. Edmund Hall. Uh, once I, I heard uh, Jimmy Noon, the like Apex Club. It's just too hot. Yeah. Like, stop You that. can't touch it. <laughs> like, you're like, you can't touch it. You're like sitting alone with your instrument and listening to that, feeling ashamed. Like, just like, just like, like, I'm never going. Yeah. That, that's the great thing. I'm never going to be that dude. I got to do my own thing. I heard John Carter's solo record that Moraire's spiritual hi, spirituals and hymns or whatever yeah, yeah, you know yeah. that one i've got all of them i think i wanted to jump out the window because yeah. everything that i thought that i thought like in a way like oh i want to do i want to get into this he did it man oh, one of the things i love about those, insane. those john carter solo records is how dry they are which mm-hmm. to me like i don't like the sound of a dry clarinet i want yeah. to hear reverb yeah but in doing that, yeah. it's like he's just letting you hear, hear it for what, what it, it is. It's so raw. It's frightening. And I remember hearing those uh, duets with him and Bobby Bradford, like Woodman Hall's movies. It's the best shit ever. Dude, I just can't handle it. I just like, so like, so, you know, we both play clarinet. So let's talk about, for me, the four great clarinet players for me. Oh, here we go. Here we go. For me, that like really inspired me, John Carter all fucking day. Can I yeah john carter all fucking um, day <laughs> um jimmy jufri yeah that shit with steve swallow and paul blay is like it's it that's where to me that's like <sighs> that that's it that those two dudes alvin batiste yeah because i love those clarinet summit records and then he did that record in 93 late and he takes the chord changes from john coltrane's countdown uh-huh. it's liquid <laughs> because for me for clarinet movement you get a lot of players that are great yeah great but they have this kind of classical movement uh-huh. you know like you know there's certain fingering things that are easier on clarinet uh-huh, or whatever uh-huh, uh-huh. but alvin batiste's absolute fire like liquid it's i mean he's popping it so hard and then last but not least i mean all these guys are number one yeah they all they all, all, all they're number one equally is, giant um um Joe Maneri brought broke me down. Joe Maneri. Yeah. Yeah. Never even mentioned. Like people think of him more as a sax player. Him doing tenderly. Wait, wait, did you meet him? Yeah. Where did you meet Joe? Uh at a couple shows. That he was playing. Yeah. You went to the shows. Yeah, and like stood around afterward like weird dude in the corner. Yeah, like a wounded animal dude, in the darkness. You should have saw me when uh, I saw um, uh, Andrew Hill, who's oh, tops shit. for me. When I saw him at uh, uh, Studio Museum of Harlem, uh-huh. out back. You waited for him out back? No, I followed like I was his shadow. Wherever he went, I was kind of eh, <laughs> like standing. And then I was he. I saw him walking in, so I was like making him walk out. I was like, oh, you know, uh, I like your music. Uh, I mean, just like, because I remember when I heard Judgment. Uh, I was buying copies of that, giving it to people. <laughs> like, seriously. That's yeah. like Sam Rivers of Man- Winds of Manhattan. One of my favorite records of all time. Winds of Manhattan. Winds of Manhattan. That, like, 11 piece group or whatever. Yeah. Like, how. Ugh. So, wait. <laughs> <laughs> like, the, you know, like. Uh, wait, let's go back to Munari, though. So. He's gross. It's disgusting. I mean, Abject disgust. disgust. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's just like he's he's talking. It's it's you know because uh, you you know like when you think about a lot of people, it, everything becomes very system based. Mm. You know, like they have a certain thing, and I'm, maybe I'm talking about more out of composition. You know, like you know the academy, and you know if you can prove your system, you know, you know you get a pat on the head. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. But when you have a language as an improviser especially and you can sit down and just do what he does and it's like out of a lester young type thing where every note has its particular yeah not a solid through like you know bel canto sense but each note each note like the way that i'm talking i'm not like yes this is very good how is that it's like everything has its little yeah particular place that shit is crazy i saw this thing the other day i went to the cloisters mm-hmm. have you been up there yeah. Oh fuck, man! They had these little Dutch wood carvings mm-hmm. that were like the size of a golf ball. Mm-hmm. Put in your pocket, you know, and you open it up, and on each side these these carvings of uh, like the nativity scene. They're, these things are like seven, eight hundred years old. So much detail that mm-hmm. you need a magnifying glass to really see it all. Some dude did this all by hand, mm-hmm. and when I looked at, and then you can close it up and put it in your pocket. Obviously, I couldn't because it was behind glass. Yeah, but uh, that's, that's how I think about. Like the the guys that we love, hey bro. Uh, <laughs> sorry, there's a Chihuahua in the room. Um, like Evan Parker's playing is like that to me. Mo- what's that record, Montessori's? Montessori? Yeah, I remember hearing that and being like, no. Like, just like, know, have you and I ever even talked about Evan's playing? We always talk no. about John- yeah, yeah. Evan's my guy. At the end of the day, he's my guy. If I if I can, could- you know, I mean, it's ridiculous. It's like when you. Hear people like him. Cecil Taylor is my favorite musician of all time. Yeah. All time. Like, what he... That's my dude. I still need to log a lot of hours with that music. I mean, I still listen to him probably almost more than anybody. Solo. is your Solo. Uh, going back to like three phases and really trying to understand what he was getting. I mean, it's just like, you know, people do a topical thing. You're mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. Eh, you know, but like... I mean, he just had it all for me. I mean, just like when I when I heard that, because I remember this older guy back home let me borrow in Dent. Uh-huh. And so, and I was about like 18. And I wasn't playing then. I was just like buying records, you know. And uh, I would put on his record, and then I'd put on Art Tatum. Yeah. And I was trying to understand the difference for me. Like, I really like this dude, and I kind of understand, but, like, what is this guy? Like, why would he do that? Like, you know, like, I couldn't say I was just like, oh, man, this is the greatest. I was just really kind of like, man, like, like kind of shaking my head, you know? And then I just started listening to it. It's like, you know, sing along with his records, uh-huh. you know, his solo records uh-huh. is a big thing for me. Um, uh, And I'm glad I got to hang out and talk with him. With Cecil. Yeah. Again, what, you approached him after his show? Well, I went uh, to Cafe Lou. It was like his uh, uh, birthday party, I think, when he's like 84. And I remember me and my friend Joe went, and I kind of, because Joe used to work there. Um, uh, We went, and, uh, you know, you see Andrew Surreal all all over Lake, so I'm just kind of like standing over on the side. But before I left, I wanted, you know, went up to him, my thing, you know, thank you for the music. But I uh, told him, I was like, I think I, I used to visit a friend of yours, Valdo Williams. Valdo Williams was this pianist, did one record on Savoy, uh-huh. like 66. And uh, when I moved here, I would just call people. You like, called Marion Brown, right? Yeah, I used yeah, to yeah. go to Bronx to see Marion Brown as oh, we're well. Gonna talk, we're going to go back to that. Um, uh, and so when I told him about Valdo Williams, he just sat me down and just 
talked about him and all these great pianists. He was nice to you. Yeah, really nice. Yeah. Really nice. Because I met him once. In Order to Survive was playing at, um, this is like 99, uh-huh. when I, I'd been here a few months. So uh, I see Cecil Taylor walking in Knitting Factory. And I was there. I was going to see In Order to Survive. And I see him. I'm like across the street drinking a 40. Because I was like broke. <laughs> like, I'm, like, I'm like pounding a 40. I see him. So I like jump over this barricade that I was across the street and run over. And I kind of tap him on oh, the God. shoulder. And then when he turned around, I just like put my head down. Like I was like, couldn't look at him. And I was like, oh, I like your music. And he just shook my hand and turned around and walked off. I was like, you know, like nobody saw it. But I was like embarrassed, you know, yeah. to see, you know. Uh, but I got to say one of the things also, I remember... The record store I worked at back home in Austin, Sound Exchange, Craig Coon, the uh, manager, put out Matthew Ship and William Parker's first duet record. Really? Uh, yeah. He had a label? What was the label? Uh, God, I forget what he was called. Because he had Rise with that uh, graphic artist, Frank Kozik, but that was like punk shit. Um, uh, I can't remember. I still have that CD because I love their... that One of my favorite renditions of Summertime is by them. Mm-hmm. I saw William Parker play... And I was still playing up right then, too. I saw him pick up the bass at 4 o'clock. He paid to like 4.50 because I remember I looked. And um, he still did one of the best solo performances I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. It was like, I mean, it was just like, and because the thing is, it's like uh, Waterloo's a big, sort of big record store. And, you know, they have this little stage. And um, you notice like, I mean, I was standing up front and start playing and everybody eventually in the store was just standing there most people probably didn't know who he was and i always remember this one dude i used to see around it shows like total dreaded like austin kind of granola <laughs> weird uh hippie dude was it ethan <laughs> no 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 it's black dude like uh, but i used to just see him around he was always like somewhere and uh you know and he was like just standing there standing next to him going oh shit oh shit <laughs> you know i remember this woman was standing with her little kids and everyone's just like what? It was like seeing just like, yeah, what seeing a magician, yeah, like straight up, yeah. Oh, a couple of weeks before that, I saw Tony Conrad play in the corner in the same place, oh, I bet. behind a fucking sheet, right? You know, and it was just like you know, because in Austin, you know, things would come through. I saw Rova's saxophone quartet in the burger shop next to there years before that, you know. Um, uh, and I remember getting to see Arthur Doyle. You know, when he was there with Dahlia Smith. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, people like that. Um, um, what's wrong with me? Well, again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, um, How far you I, I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting a name. Uh, Sax player? Yeah. Upstate Poughkeepsie. J- uh, what is wrong with me? White guy? Black guy? No, black guy. Nation Joe time. McPhee. Joe McPhee. What's yeah, yeah, wrong yeah. with me? Joe McPhee did a solo. Arthur Doyle did, the, uh, did a solo. Arthur Doyle's sound is so crazy. Yeah. It's so crazy yeah um so they played did their solo thing then they did a duet you know and you know like seeing stuff like that really started like oh i gotta get me a taste you know it's like you know it's that really just really just made me want to play like seeing those people like like that on that level is yeah on the highest highest level. level yeah and you know and uh and, you know, then moving here and getting to see, you know, but Evan Parker's huge. Yeah. Like, when you hear that, it's like, this was like the Cecil thing. Like, what in the fuck are you doing? Yeah. Like, but like stoked, you know, like me seeing William Parker that time, like just, like, I mean, like for days. Yeah. Like you're at work. Like I'm at work. Like, like I was like, 
What was I doing? <laughs> I was working in the record store, but I think I still may have been working at the grocery store too. You worked you at know, the grocery store? Yeah, yeah. I worked in every department. Like, you're like frying a burger, dude, and you're like lost. Yeah. Like thinking about that stuff. Uh-huh. You know, I remember, you know, but that happened all types of music. Laughing Hyenas. Right. Who, who were huge for me. I'm a big Negative Approach fan. Uh, still the best band name ever. Yeah, is Negative, negative Approach. Best band name like, ever. Negative Approach. Like, Are they skinheads? No. Didn't no. I? Okay, anyway. Not at all. I wouldn't. Nah. Yeah. Nah. And even like, you know, because growing up in that scene, like uh, all the like skinheads, white power and anti-racist, they were all crazy. Yeah. And I remember this dude taking me to his car. It's like, hey, man, you know, I've seen you with the shows lift up and he has these jackets and there were patches he's like you could own one of these jackets you know why don't you come to a barbecue you know we talk Fuck i was like oh, with my skateboards no thanks <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't like any kind of organized nope. thing at all nope not no nope. like i'm always nah that scene was weird but uh what was i talking about but <laughs> like uh, <laughs> You know, but like seeing the Laughing Hines, I remember my yeah. friend Richard Keith and I went, and it's just like to see people. There weren't a lot of people there, and for to see something like and someone make you believe. Right, I can't say exactly what it was, but this was like, it was just so real. Yeah, you know, I mean, it was just brutal. I got a picture on my phone from a few years ago at a Negative Approach show in the pit. Dude, this you is no pit and negative in, approach. Dude, that's it's no joke. It's not. When we would go to shows like, and especially like all the uh, power violence stuff from uh-huh. the West Coast, man is the bastard. That is my shit. Man is the bastard. Yeah, crossed out, no comment. That 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 at that time that stuff was going on with like Project Blow, Lamert Park, uh, Saphir, all the West Coast underground hip hop stuff. All that stuff at that time. Then you have William Park. All that. I, I was losing my mind. There was a great period of time where there was genuine overlap with that stuff. Yeah, and, and it, it was you know certainly people like you know like Henry Rollins and Thurston Moore. Yeah. who you know made a concerted effort mm-hmm. to bring people like David Ware onto the to yeah. share the stage with them. Like, that was a big part of it. But I remember when I first started getting into like the. Uh, like, I've been listening to shit since I was six years old and yeah. very intently. But when yeah. I first started getting into improvised music and my friend yeah. was like, oh, you should read this magazine called The Wire. Mm-hmm. And I like going through oh, the yeah, pages yeah. and being like, okay, Zanakis, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Albert Eiler, and you know, these are all the bands I need to check out. Yeah, yeah. Bands that I yeah, need to yeah, check yeah. out at the same time. <laughs> What's that? Uh, Zanakis Legendaire or whatever that one which electronic one? piece. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're just like, what? But I mean, it's Ugh, kind of a, it's if, if you think about it, it's like that's a crazy undertaking to be like, mm. I'm gonna start listening to oh yeah, free jazz, uh, music concrete, yeah. all this fucking shit at the same free, you know, at the same time and try to understand it. It's, it'll take you a lifetime you to know understand what? any of it. Well, I remember like I started working in Sound Exchange, but I got in there because I hung out there. I would come in all the time, go through all the seven inches. That's another way that you and, and you know, I Water- like. Waterloo was like that too. They had booths. I mean, I would listen to a full-on record in those booths. If somebody came in that wanted to listen to something, dude would like, I'd get out, you know, oh, could they listen to it? Once they were through listening to stuff, people would let me go back in there. No one ever told me no. Sound Exchange, I would just be in there. I didn't have any money. You yeah. know, I had moved out of my parents' house by that time. And so I was like, you know, what I was making wasn't that much enough to pay rent, and that's about it, you know. But I wanted to be independent for whatever reason. And so I did it, but like, so it was just like learning and listening. Yeah. And I have to say, like, people talk about Austin now. Like, I moved once 
that thing that was special there was gone. It's gone, not, right? Not to say that it isn't, maybe for other people, but when I was there, you know, my I had more mobility. When I left, my share of rent was 165 bucks. You know, so if you were only making 250 a week, that was fine, you know? And uh, 33 Degrees was another big record store. Friends of mine, uh, Dan and- Are these uh, places still there? Like, no, 33 Degrees, Dan and uh, Blake own uh, End of an Ear. Okay. Now and that's probably the best record store there. So they still have record stores. Yeah, in they still have. Yeah, most definitely. Austin is a record collecting town. Yeah, and I had all these older people that were around throwing just like old punk bands, blues, uh, just everything <laughs> at you. Oh, you'd be into this. You'd be into this. Check this uh, well, out. Have I mean, you heard this? Let, let's just you know, I, I actively do not want to talk about the loss of record stores. But here's one thing I will say. And again, I'm hearing like something very familiar. Uh, in what you're describing because what I, I started hanging out at record stores when I was 13 and again same thing they'd be like this is what you need to check out yeah. you, you would hang out for hours, hours and just talk shit and all that yeah, you know, yeah. make fun of each other and what I I've always been an important part of my life my daily routine has been going out to walk the streets you know, yeah. I'm always I would I would walk the streets. I would go to stop at all the record stores in these streets. Yeah, I'm in, I'm in these streets. <laughs> I'm out here in the streets. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. yeah, I did it yesterday. Yeah. I walked the streets for three hours yesterday. Yeah, yeah. But what's absent now is. Oh, I don't have to. Like, the shops aren't there for me to like, yeah, the, go into. I go to Downtown Music Gallery. I go to Kim's. Yeah. I go to the fucking uh, yeah. you know Rivington Guitars. You just pop mm. in, say what's up to the people who are working, mm. talk a little shit, drink some coffee, maybe mm. buy something. Yeah, and I'd buy a lot actually. I mean, like around here, like I used to work at Academy on 18th Street. Yeah. Um, uh, you have the one on 12th, but like in the city, really isn't much. You know, there used to be though. Yeah. Oh yeah, when I moved here, you just and you'd go in and feel bad. Day off you know, would like, start with walking the streets. Yeah, and you'd buy something, and then you'd see something else, and it's like you're dying because you can't buy this. I remember one time at Other Music, uh, someone called me and was like, they have that East Bionic Symphony, yeah, uh, Symphonia record. I like called, put on, like, like ran out the door like my wife was having a kid. Mm-hmm. I'm not married. I don't mm-hmm. have a girlfriend. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> or a you kid. Know, <laughs> I have nothing. <laughs> you're a cat. I, I have a cat. What's the cat's name? Otto. That's right. I knew that. Fucking... Dude, he's a good one. He's twenty two pounds. I'm taking him to the vet soon because he's he's heavy. huge. Twenty two uh, pounds. My dogs together don't weigh ten oh, pounds. Dude, don't try to call me out. I'm a good parent. No, I'm not saying you're you not. Know? I'm just saying my dogs together don't weigh ten pounds. That's two dogs. You saw one that was just in here. Yeah, yeah. She weighs three and a half pounds. <laughs> she weighs an idea. She weighs. <laughs> that dog is so small. <laughs> <laughs> Wait. So when you were growing up in Austin, because if I. Austin, to me, in my imagination, people talk about, like, what are music cities? People talk about uh, New Orleans. They talk about Austin. They talk about Athens, Georgia. Great music town. Great music town. But for me, I don't know what that means because, like, Athens, Georgia, I don't give a shit about indie rock. Mm. I, I, I give – and I don't really don't give a shit to about – R.E.M. and cry? I do, actually. Yeah. I love R.E.M. And I've seen them live a number of times, <laughs> and they're amazing. I like that uh, – what was uh, – what record is that? A document? Driver 8? Yeah. Oh, See, Varian's great. I don't give a shit. Yeah. I have a friend that makes fun of me all the time about it. Anyway, the point is, I don't know that I care about the predominant musical culture of Austin, which is what I imagine being like a bunch of Stevie Ray Vaughan ripoffs. Uh, what we back home call the Budweiser Blues. Now, friends of mine were in this band called the Motards. And not that I agree <laughs> with it, but it was funny. The Motards uh, have a seven inch cover where they're pissing on his grave. On Stevie Ray Vaughan. Yeah. Well, that ain't cool. Yeah. It's not cool. But that's. The thing is, is like so much is given to that. When I think of Austin, you know, you know, you know, you think of uh, 
Rocky Erickson, you think of Big Boys, you think of the Dicks. I think of all that great music that I still love, all the punk shit that went on there that was really great and still informing people, Mm -hmm. you know, starting bands and stuff. You know, you'd see Tim Kerr and Ray Washerman, all those dudes around, you know, Scratch Acid, like that was our shit. Like we Mm -hmm. looked up to those people, Butthole Surfers, you know, Mm -hmm. all that that stuff still looms huge, you know. If you're of a certain age and grew up there, for sure. Yeah. But there were a lot of friends of mine that were in bands, lesser known, Glorium and all those guys. Gut, you know. Uh, and then, you know, like my older roommates were in this band, Society of Friends. Like all that stuff, just uh, uh, employer, employee. I mean, there was just some. It's amazing of, that you remember all this stuff so you like, know that, 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 clearly. That's what we did. Me and yeah. my best friend, Allison, Craig, Gil. It was like, you're getting off work. You know, Shutter to Think's playing, or whoever's playing's coming, like, you know, you know, Hawkwind's playing, or some shit like that. And you're like, you know, we're calling, getting it ready, people getting their coins together to get some 40s, some beers, and go down and fucking tear it up. I remember going to see Neurosis on. Uh, oh, man. A word is, uh, not word is law, but uh, um, um, uh, uh, Souls at Zero tour. And I remember I walked all the way downtown, had a good day that day, mm-hmm. ate good food. Uh huh. And, and just went down and just remember just being like, and it's just like just sound washing Neurosis. over you, you know? Yeah. And just like, uh, I mean, I saw all that stuff, you know? Like, I mean, that's what we did. That was the great thing about Austin. Everything came through over and over. Jesus lives, all that oh, stuff. God. And it, it's just like you were, and I got to say, one of the best rock shows ever is, I mean, think about it now, but John Spencer with opening up for Blue- Jesus Lizard. That tour for Extra with was insane. Talk about disgusting. Was insane. Yeah. You know, it's like John Spencer took it up to a high level and then it just went overboard and everybody, you're in a room with over 200 people and everybody is losing their mind. I saw him open for Beastie Boys. Yeah. Uh, and it was like, you know, huge, you know, it was like an yeah. amphitheater kind of thing. And still I got the power from, yeah. from him. And, you know, I got to say, uh, uh, I mean, there was just so many, uh, you know, melt banana stuff like that. That band changed my life. Yeah. And so, I, I, I don't know. Anyway, wait, wait. So you moved to New York in 99 mm-hmm. with the clarinet? Yeah. Plastic clarinet. There's a picture. I, I got to see if I can pull it up. Me, the, my friend, roommate Allison took it. Me passed out in the original Slayer Haunting the Chapel t-shirt with my clarinet. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, just passed out. <laughs> Like, just with the clarinet, you know? But, like, the clarinet's been, like, a good struggle. It's a struggle. You know, it's like, and one of the things I never wanted to do was do that clarinet thing, you know, like, where people play, and it has such a good sound quality when it's a bel canto sense of tone. Yeah. You can get lost in that, but I gotta have, like, there's gotta be some dirt in the Brita, you know? It's like, it. I mean, like, when I heard Albert Ayler, like, I just, like like just stumped uh-huh like, like so that's you it know, spirit like what uh-huh like i've been looking for this all my life yeah. you know like what was here, the first Eiler record you heard a spiritual unity yeah the it first just, one i heard was bells yeah and it's still to this day not my favorite one. no not bells um yeah bells yeah bells yeah you know, spiritual unity but that box is super important that box is, is super important i starved to get that um uh that um uh, andrew hill's mosaic box which i still have and sam rivers which i had to sell uh 
uh, when things got tight years ago when I first moved here. So uh, wait, when you moved here, how quickly did you call up Marion Brown? Uh, I don't know. I, it's, uh, you lose. I, someone told me it was there. I got a number. Or I called and I would go up there and just hang out with him. He was living in the Bronx? He was living in the Bronx. And he was in the, the white pages? No, you just call information. But I think somebody gave me you his number. You for a Dude, Valdo hey. Williams... Avaldo Williams, Patty Bound. Patty Bound was this pianist. She did one record as well. In Wait, the Dougie's sister? No, 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 no. Okay. No, she uh, she was originally from Seattle. Her sister was actually a classical pianist who... Uh, Wait, you just reminded me of something. Mm. A memory that is was so lost mm. that just came screeching back, and I would be embarrassed to admit this however many years ago, mm. and I'll admit it now. I used to, before I moved to New York... When I wanted to move here to play and be around all this yeah, crazy yeah. music, I would look up people's phone numbers in the white pages. Yeah. And I'm like, there they are. They're really there. No, yeah, yeah. Voldemort, all these people, I got their numbers from information. And I call them up and see if I could go hang out with them just to talk. And Valdo Williams, when I first met him, I went up there. They call him downstairs. He's living this, like near um, on 103rd. I want to say maybe on the west side of uh, oh. west or east side of uh, Central Park. Over by Smoke. Yeah, it's, I yeah. don't know. I don't know where that is, but like, so I went up there and I and he comes down, and he's sitting there, and I was like, oh, you know, your record, new advanced jazz, blah blah blah, and he's not saying anything. He's just kind of looking at me like, and he's short guy, and then I don't know why I did it because it's not me to be this way, but I started singing one of his tunes, bum 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 bum. And he was like, stood up, that's my tune. And then after that, he was cool. But this guy grew up, Teddy Wilson, so he said, like, Teddy Wilson used to play at my dad's parties. He grew up in the same building as Teddy Wilson. Yeah. He said he was studying to be a concert pianist, but he got the jazz bug. He knew Sonny Rollins and Randy Weston, grew up around those guys, uh, studied with Monk over an eight-year period. Most people know him because he recorded with Charlie Parker in Montreal. Mm -hmm. But, you know, he was into the new thing. You know, and uh, and I remember he said something to me once. He was like, oh, you know, most people think I'm dead, you know. And the weird thing about it was like, like the second or third time I went up there, went up to his room. He was like, they don't like me practicing here. There was music everywhere. He was still writing tunes. It blew my mind that somebody that was playing that great so long ago that never made another record is still practicing. Mm-hmm. In the middle of the night writing music mm -hmm. you do it because you have to and i have to say if we're going to talk about me turning point for me the like past few years i feel like well I, you know i'm playing better is most definitely connie carruthers yeah you studied with her for a while right for like about a year and a half okay you know i went to her early on uh you know like eight years or so before that and uh how'd you find your way to her i don't a number from somebody somebody you know? was but someone said you should check this person out yeah. or you had already like were yeah. into her playing yeah you oh. know well because one of the things like for me and my friends and me especially like far as jazz went you know you check out all the big dudes you know yeah, none of the, yeah. yeah. but like all the sideways people so like you know checking out parker you know got me into fats navarro all those kind of people mm -hmm. tristano got me into a. uh you know, Connie and Warren Marsh and Lee, mm -hmm. you know, uh, Kazri Jackson, mm -hmm. but I knew her as Liz Girl, those records. Um, uh, you know, because a lot of times those records were cheaper, you know, and uh, 
So, you know, you just explored and like, you know, Connie was just, she just turned it around for me. Well, uh, uh, describe that. Like, what, what was it? Because I had all this like anxiety about playing. Uh-huh. Like I was just so hard on myself, uh-huh. you know, because you've known me, you've know there's been times where you haven't seen me play anywhere. Yeah, no, whatever, like well, we got to talk about that too, yeah. And you know, I'm just like sitting, I wonder what my uh, uh, um, people live in my building just hear me in there, fuck shit it's my neighbor it's my neighbor <laughs> yeah it's like yeah. me playing you know do 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 shit <laughs> you know but i don't know she just made me calm down how did she do that i have no idea well describe what uh, a session with her first would look off like. like when you you know we discuss things you know music and at the end of each lesson we'd always play and her whole thing is like how did that make you feel like, you know, and like to really think about your sound. And, you know, we could talk about theory and stuff where like, you know, because we we're talking about standards and stuff like yeah. that. But it was just like, it's just part of that mystery in this music that starts in the late 1800s that exists till now. Mm-hmm. You know, there's just something else about it when you have to be able to speak at any given moment when you're playing with somebody, mm-hmm. you know. You know, the conversation isn't always great, but you have to be up to the task. And she told me, she's like, you play because you have to play. If you're still playing now, you know, because you have to. And I'll never forget, they were interviewing her on WFMU. Mm -hmm. Man, she was so excited. Like, Yeah. Yeah. Like, she's going to, you know, talking about what she was influenced by. She is fucking amazing. Yeah. I, I you you are one of many people I know who And if you can get that record that she did in Paris, I think two thousand eleven, it's a purple record, solo record. It's just like banging. It's a solo record from Paris. Yeah. Yeah, like her. I mean she's just she was just great. Yeah. And opening, you know, and just like you know, from her vantage point, you know, she was because I've always really been into like the big band era and those people Mm -hmm. and stuff, you know, she played with Roy Eldridge. I mean, like, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's insane. She did it. I mean, she worked with, yeah, yeah. You know, she was like heavy Tristano. Mm -hmm. It's heavy, you know? And, uh, man, it was just a blessing. That anxiety around the horn. I, I, I I have anxiety. I like, it's much better now. Is it? It, It's better. I mean, because of her, it's a better, I just, you, you you waste so much energy. You know, I'm looking listening to these records and you're like, all this music, you know. Is that Earl Brown? Yeah. Talk to me too. Yeah. De Niro. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it's like you listen to all this stuff and you're just like, man, how am I going to get into this? Outside of all this stuff, like... Being known career, I just want to be able to play. Yeah. You know, I remember being young. 19 was the first time I saw Steve Lacey, who you know was huge for me. Yeah. Um, uh, And me and my friend Torrance showed up at a Continental Club in Austin. Torrance had a, like, stack of records, big stack of records like this. He signed everyone. I asked asked him every fucking dumb question I could ask. Like what? Just like, uh, about this. Oh, specifics? Like, how do you get that sound? You know, know, just like being weird, you know? Yeah. But he was super nice every time I saw him. You know, I talked to him. I remember one of the last times I saw him, 
and you know, I was like, oh, you know, I met you in Austin, blah, 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 you know, like one of the last times I saw him before he passed. And, um, and I told him, you know, I was playing clarinet and he was like, oh yeah, you know, cause I think he liked clarinet players and, uh, cause he played clarinet at one mm-hmm. time, but he, uh, said, I think I have a tape somewhere of me and John Carter playing. He said that and I was like, <laughs> give me the tape. I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. I was like, damn. You got to think of all the stuff that's not there. I got some weird record recently. I know where it is. Where you do? Off the mics, I'll tell you. I know where it is, dude. Uh, I remember Connie told me uh, uh, somebody had a uh, an improvised duet recorded. I know of, where it all is. Of Roy Eldridge and like Dick Katz, just right. free improv, like just playing. That I'd like to hear. Yeah, I'd love to hear it. But these things are around. I mean, I've heard. But of, the the lazy shit. I I like I geographically know where it all is. Yeah, and there's some other weird shit that I've heard and know about. You know, but I got this weird record of uh '69. It's Bill Dixon, <laughs> Sam Rivers, Arthur Doyle, and some drummer I don't know. Jesus Christ! Mm, it's at home. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, but so wait, wait. So Steve Lacey, did you meet him more than once? Yeah. And you take a he lesson. played. He played. In, dude i wouldn't i was like terrified of these people me too you know it's like i would like see somebody like that i mean i was terrified you know it's like when i moved to like like seeing william park around i was like terrified yeah you're a really nice guy yeah i know but i'm just like (laughs) you you still you still get terrified by giants not really i mean because i would still go up to people yeah you know, I remember one day I, when I broke up with my uh, first girlfriend and I was like in shambles and I'm walking down 42nd Street. I just bought, I'm like, oh man, I just, uh, Jose Saramago, that book Blindness, it come out or okay. whatever, you know, that Portuguese poet, like, I don't know, or whatever. So I, I bought that book. They made a terrible movie out of it. Uh, but so I bought that book. I was like, oh, I'm going to just take a bus to Texas, read and like enjoy. It was the worst. That's a terrible idea. idea. Yeah. It was a terrible because I had money and everything. It was I a bunch of just, dirt bags on Greyhound. That's oh like, my that's God, dude. It, it was the worst. It was a bunch of dirt bags, right? Yeah. It was just terrible. How long did it take? Four days? No, it took like uh, it took like a day. Really? Yeah. It took like, maybe it took a little bit. I can't uh, remember. It must take no, longer than a day. No, Yeah. It was a little bit more than So that. you left from Port Authority, which is yeah. a lovely dude, place. Dude, somebody's someone you know like i've always been this thing like you can leave a book anywhere no one's gonna steal a book someone stole my book they'll, they'll, one time man on the they'll bus. take anything they can yeah they'll and take I, any fucking thing they can yeah and so uh but i'm walking down the street and who's where i look up and i'm ass out i'm ass out like losing my shit it was more richard abrams and anthony braxton and i didn't know because ryan sawyer knew i was bummed him and his girlfriend Meredith at the time, uh, Ryan had bought me a ticket to see Braxton solo. Uh-huh. Braxton's huge for me as well. Uh-huh. All those AACM guys, first yeah, generation, yeah. into like Nicole Mitchell and Montana Roberts. I love shit. That's my shit. Yeah. And um, and I see them and I'm like, you know, Mr. Abrams, Mr. Braxton, you know, like, just like. Giants. Yeah, you know, yeah. just like getting home calling my friend Carl, like, dude, you know who the fuck I saw, you know, like, just yeah. bugging out, you know. Um, uh, but you know, New York is. I I'll, I remember one day I was walking around the East Village with my mom, mm-hmm. and Head, uh, Threadgill walks by. Yeah, because you know, speaking of people who are always out walking the streets. Yeah, you know, I see him all the goddamn yeah, time. Because I yeah, I had that with him once, and I was like, oh, that's Henry Threadgill. And my sister Shelley had just moved here, and uh, 
she thought I was, and she went over to him, was like, "My brother thinks you're see, cool." <laughs> see, yeah, yeah, and she was like, "Oh, that's him." <laughs> yeah, no, he walked by it, and I was like, "Mom, you see that guy right there?" She's like, "Yeah," I was like, "He's like one of the greats of the 20th century." Yeah, she's like, "Really?" I was like, "Yeah, that's him." <laughs> I remember walking by down the street and seeing a uh, Philip Glass on his stoop. I see him all the time yeah. with his kids in the morning. Yeah. I, when I used to when I used to work in Midtown, every morning, I, I guess we would. I, many times a week I would see him on the F train taking his kids to school yeah. and he's just a, a dude trying to fucking keep it together, together with these kids except he's 80 and they're like four and five years old yeah. I remember you know just like going to these shows you know like me people are just like yeah, Neil Lockwood or somebody like that they're everywhere yeah they're everywhere I remember uh, at uh, uh, Dia and Chelsea or uh-huh. whatever when uh, a few years ago when uh, Charles Curtis did you know that um, um, the Radique piece uh, no um, um, Lamont Young uh-huh. Uh huh. What piece was that? Anyway, Charles Curtis is a bad, bad yeah, dude. But like Lamont Young was sitting outside afterwards, you know, and I just, you know, like, damn, mm-hmm. you know, it's just like, and that's the thing that you realize when we're talking about like Cardi B and stuff like that. You know, who's that a uh, Mexican painter or Orozco or Zorco or whatever? But he has that thing about a, uh, uh, you know, a um, uh, uh, a diabetic art. Uh-huh. You know, and it's like a diabetic art. Wait, you know, describe way, that. Diet. You know what I'm saying? It's sugar. Yeah. Like you get that immediate. It's a jolt. Yeah. You know, like when I'm working at, you know, I work at Union Pool, Max Fish, uh-huh. you know, on the weekends, Best you know, you're fucking banging the trap. I get it. Some of that stuff is good. You know, it's, it has, it serves it, it, functions it, it, and purposes. Yeah, 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 most definitely. And party music is a real thing. I love yeah. it. But it's sugar, you know, and sugar will never take the place of a good solid meal right you know so you know if i'm listening to like skip james that's a fucking meal Mm -hmm. you know that'll get me through some real shit that's sustenance and it's not based on words because words define things and give imagery to things it's about something much deeper than that you know so that's how like i see it you know it's like you listen like I got into Morton Feldman at a really young age. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't remember how I found his music, and it was immediate. It was like, do you remember what uh, first? Um, uh, on New Albion, it was uh, White Patterns and Rothko that was, Chapel. That was my first Feldman. Yeah, and at the same time, I got uh, a Cronus Quartet with Aki Takahashi, mm-hmm. who I've gotten to see a few times. I saw her do what's that last completed um, um, piano piece. Palace Palace that's my favorite that's my favorite of his piano music uh, maybe if close. i mean that is so and you know if there's this one thing with like you know people playing avant-garde music as a style everyone does it from improvisers to mm-hmm. composers with a million letters behind their name mm-hmm. but it's something to me that happens when something's very deep and personal that music that piece isn't crazy. It's not banging. No, it's gorgeous. It's not, but it's like, it's like, like where the melody exists is drifting out in a place I'm unfamiliar with. I will put that piece on <clears throat> loop. I will literally, while I'm at home, mm-hmm. have it go. I'll, he expands time. Yeah. I will play it. The piece itself is like half an hour long. I'll yeah. play it four or five times back to back. It's it's the greatest sound. I remember me and Ryan went to go see uh, um it was Charles Curtis and I guess the pianist recorded Patterns on Chromatic Field. That version of Patterns in a Chromatic Field is the one on Sadiq. So far I away, don't, it's I don't, the one. 
I don't need to hear another one. That's how that that's is. It. To me. I don't need to hear another one. You know, and uh, and I know people say that uh, uh, Akitakahashi doing uh, on Alm uh, doing um, Triadic Memories is too fast. Uh-huh. But I beg to differ. And because I remember I went on, I used to be like crazy on YouTube commenting on shit. Really? I used to like, I stopped years ago because I was like insane. That, yeah, it's a bad habit. Like, I were, you know, but like this guy, you know, oh, it's too fast and blah, blah, blah. I was like, hey, let's remember who his favorite piano players were. Mm-hmm. Tudor, Roger Woodward, and Aki being his favorite. She knows something that you don't shut the fuck up. <laughs> She's one of the greatest. You know? Yeah. I, you know that like classical thing where, oh, you know, that's a little too fast. I mean, everybody has the right. Sure. I'm, we're all like that. And if you play, you have to be like that. Mm-hmm. Not everything is just like, oh, that's just okay. When I listen to like Charlie Parker play like uh, Out of Nowhere, that is so particular and so precise, not a machine type of precision, but his personal take, like, you know, on precision. When I saw William Parker play that time, that was precision on a higher level. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like Evan Parker, Derek Bailey, mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, all these people, you know, Don Cherry, who's one of my top, mm-hmm. like, you know, he's like a Billie Holiday to yeah, me, yeah, yeah. where she's like just a god to yeah. me. She doesn't have the craziest range. She's not Sarah Vaughn, who I love. Not the point. You know, but what she does, no one else can do. Mm-hmm. And like what's and it's that? articulate. That's the thing. A, it's like you have to articulate. There's this it. thing with that tune. I'm yours. Like her with. I don't know if she's with Teddy Wilson or probably some big band or whatever. And it's just when she sings that chorus, it's just it's like it, being punched in the heart. Yeah, yeah. It's like someone punching you yeah, in your heart. Yeah, it's just like you know you'll be on the train, you know, good mood and everything. Next thing you realize, you're crying and like, God damn. Yeah, she. You know, like <clears throat> she's crazy. The thing between her and such an and improviser, Lester, like. Between those two, yeah. I've cried. And he's endlessly. another one. And that was one of the things, like, with Connie, you know, sing Lester Young solo, sing with Billie Holiday. And I'm still getting into that because you take it in. And I have to say, if I'm taking two really big influences on me that, uh, I don't know, David Pleasant, you know David Pleasant? No. He's a drummer, rhythmic theorist. He's like a genius. Okay. Straight up. And, uh, you know, uh, he's uh, Gishi Gola. So yeah, a lot of the... Um, um, what, what's Gishi Gola? They're um, uh, African-American black people in America that c- kept a lot of the traditional African uh, um, traditions. Gishi Gola is... It's, they're <laughs> Americans, like in St. Simmons Islands, you know, St. Simmons. North Carolina. Singers. Yeah, Betsy Jones. Yes. Yeah. North Carolina, Georgia. Banks. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, his thing is so unbelievable. And I don't know anybody, his thing with concurrent rhythms is amazing. Mm-hmm. And he's coming out of America, out of the black tradition here. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it, it's it, you know, and it's part of the greater African diaspora rhythmically, but it's about what happened here. Mm-hmm. And I can't think of anybody that's doing that in the way that he's doing it. Mm-hmm. It's unbelievable. Another big influence is Patrick Brennan. People sleep on that dude yeah it's unbelievable alto player you play with him a lot yeah when i can i haven't been able to because i work at nights you know yeah. and stuff but he's his rhythmic thing is unbelievable yeah wait you tell me so one thing i am curious about is have you made a record 
you're a record under your name. No. Do you have any interest in doing that? Is it going to yeah, happen? Yeah, no, it's going to happen. I'm not ready. Yeah. You know. But I, I, I did a. Uh, I'm on uh, uh, five seven seven records. Federico's yeah. thing. Uh, I did quintet with me, Daniel, Matthew, Daniel Carter, uh-huh. Matthew Putnam, Hillier Green, and Federico. It's an amazing band. Yeah. And that's great and i love daniel carter like when i moved here he was the dude yeah like he's super awesome a great player and just a personality he just made i felt no Nicest separation guy. yeah and he's into everything yeah you can talk to him about anything and you know he's also for me like you know he was playing with uh you know samara lubelski lubelski yeah and uh playing with i played this show at uh, the glove and he played after with her and Bill Nace. Now, growing up, I played with a lot of noise. Mm-hmm. Like, I was huge into noise, you know, out of the, you know, like, tape scene out of the 80s and all that stuff. So, you know, you know, all the greats, you know, White House, mm-hmm. Nurse with Womb, you know, still later stuff, Atrex Morgue, MB, all that, like, just total, like, I remember, uh, you know, I don't even want to say the name of that record. You know, that would uh, be just terrible. The human the human is a virus on earth type thing. Yeah. You know, yeah. which was a big thread going through a lot of power violence stuff in the 90s. Like, humans are the problem. Man is the bastard. I, I, yeah. Which is true. Like, I just saw a thing. Uh, I texted a friend of mine the other day. Although humans are like uh, 0.001% of the population of living things on earth that we've killed or destroyed more than half of everything yeah or garbage yeah like just total garbage you know as a virus yeah you know but like um um, yeah but so my whole thing with playing with noise like i can't go in here and just play melodies you know i can't just play melodies over everything how am i going to integrate so that's where like a lot of extended technique trying to manipulate sound and all that came from for me uh but when i saw um, um daniel recently with bill nason samara he was playing melodies and yeah. he was completely inside what they were doing i was just like blown away yeah he didn't lose <laughs> any of the melodic movement or anything he wasn't overblown he was playing melodies mm-hmm. you know because if you hear any sound as an improviser you should be able to do off that i remember reading this article with kid jordan and he was like I've gotten to the point where I can improvise off the squeak of a door. It would sounds funny, but that's real. Mm-hmm. You know, your ears, it's beyond like perfect pitch or whatever. It's that thing when you're hit with it, you respond. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I don't have, when you're talking to me, you're not like fumbling or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, and that happens too. And that's part of it. But you know, you should be able to do it any type of way in any type of situation. If you're that type of, person you know what we do this isn't repertory music mm-hmm. it's alive you know and i mean you know like a lot of people bad mouth like jazz at lincoln center i mean that's fine i, it's I a get, thing i get that it's a thing you know and those are great players and i don't take anything away from them but you know when i first saw david s Ware, he's <laughs> a little more exciting maybe and it was like well i don't I don't have to feel bad about not being alive and not seeing Train. Because that still exists. 
Mm-hmm. He did it his own way, but he was most definitely part of that. Mm-hmm. He comes from that, mm-hmm. you know. So when I saw Derek Paley, Bailey, he comes from that thing that outside of not, you know, not just talking about American or black or white, but that just human thing of that need to push through and do whatever that is. There's no words for it, mm-hmm. but we deal in that world and it's awesome. You know, I feel like I've finally got, I mean, I'm okay. I'm going to get a lot better, mm-hmm. but I'm actually like for years. I mean, you got to think it's been like 20 years. There were years I did not play. I mean, years and years. People that I know that didn't know I played. Mm-hmm. I was just like sitting at home, like sweating. Mm-hmm. You know, just in 2012, at the 2013, I was like, fuck this shit. I took my clarinet, put it in the top, very top of my closet, pushed it to the back. Threw some shit on top of it. <laughs> yeah, I was like, dude, I don't know, man. Done. I was like, you know, maybe I should think about going to school. And this is, you know, you know, getting some shit together, you know, like, you know. But that's not me. Right. You know, and it's still, it's like on your back. Like a monkey. It's like on your yeah. back and you're just like, you know, and I'm out like, you know, hanging out, you know, like, but it's like there. It's like, it, it's, and then, you know, a few days later, it's like, you know, like, I mean, months later, actually, because I, and you take it out and it's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, <laughs> I'm so sorry. And you start playing and it's like, I have a good practice. I go into work to bartend, deal with these people. Yeah. And there's not much you can do with, to me. You know, if I had a good practice or I learned something, there's not much you can do to me. Keeps you level. But if I haven't, and and I'm thinking about it and I didn't practice or I didn't do something or I just, you know, sometimes you pick up the instruments like you've never played it before. Yeah. I don't know. That is the weirdest thing. Like my hands, my mouth, like Everything. everything's just like, it sounds like shit. And, uh, ooh, woe to the world if I'm coming into work like that. Yeah. What do you want? Huh? Even when people are, huh? What? Use words. Use <laughs> words. Yeah. Dude, you know what someone did to me last night? <sighs> the what? pool? What? So, I mean, this guy an old fashioned. Yeah. You know, and I'm taking, you know, you get, get a few people's orders. Whatever, and I'm making this guy an old-fashioned, and I lift up the condiment thing. Me for, yeah, yeah. I'm not giving this guy a lime. It's just some reaction. You just do it. Yeah. He slaps my hand and go, waves his finger, waves what? his finger at me. I dumped his drink out. I was like, get some manners, dude. When the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah. Like, I mean, I almost lost it. He, like, slapped my hand and was like, mm. Did you have him thrown out? No. And he stood there for a bit, and then he looked at me. He's this big guy, big guy. And he goes, I'm sorry. (laughs) But I was like, you're not getting a drink for me. You got to go to somebody else. Yeah. It's like, but that happened. I got touched five times last night. Fuck. I don't know why people touch me, because I'm talking to everybody else. They're like, no, no. I get touched all the time. I don't like that. I don't like being touched. I don't like that. Don't touch me. Yeah. And it's like, you go into Dunkin' Donuts doing that shit? You go into Dunkin' Donuts asking people for free donut holes because you bought two and now you feel like you should get a third one free. Have you watched that video? I'm going completely off the rails here, but um, it must have been like four or five years ago at the McDonald's on West 4th Street where the guy's working the counter late night and these two women come in. Oh, yeah. And they're giving him a hard time and what they didn't know is like he got out of prison like 10 minutes before they showed up. When this happened, I remember (laughs) my friends having this discussion about that. If you see a dude... Or a woman that's like, 
over 30 working at McDonald's and they're just like the person like giving you your food and they're not a manager, they might be on hard times. They might be pissed. It's probably not where they want to be. Yeah. They're making minimum wage. The job sucks. There's a very good chance they are actively trying to correct their lives. Their, their mistakes. Yeah. You fucked with the wrong person. Wrong cat. Yeah. Yeah. This dude is on the edge. But when I see him and he pulls out that metal pipe. Yeah, I, I know. I'm like, dude, but, don't do that. But no, I see that. I'm like, I, I, I get it. But no, I, yeah, some of the times. <laughs> I get it, you know. Dude, one night, uh, um, um, some chick had a problem with one of uh, bartenders, whatever, like earlier in the night. Not anything big. You know, she walks out and she throws a glass at her. Yeah. You know? You know, it's like, oh, uh, you know, I mean, that, it's great because I have my days. I can go rehearse. I can practice. Mm-hmm, I can mm-hmm. give the best part of my day to what I want to do. That's the reason why I still do it. But, you know. Yeah, yeah man. But I've been, But you, you know, know what? I mean, you work. I've done this you, shit since I was 13 years 10, old. Yeah. 13 years old dealing with customers yeah and it is it's a real like i know that doing this job for as long as i've been doing it now i have a problem with people that i don't know not like i'm starting anything with anybody but like i'm 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 kind of an introverted person anyway but like i'm not i'm not outgoing if i don't know you i kind of don't want to know you right uh because of the job you just see People from all walks of life, all types, and they all act like children, babies. No one has manners. And it's not because you're drunk, because half the time they aren't drunk. I got punched in the head by a 22-year-old girl because she took a beer out, you know? And when I grabbed it, she turned around and punched me in the head. And when I went up to her, and I was like, look, I have three sisters. I would never hit a woman. But you got to understand, not everyone's like me. I'm a lot bigger than you. Someone will hurt you. Be careful. Don't go around slapping people in the head. And the only thing she did was call me a faggot. And fuck you. Right. You know, trying to be, and it's just like. The names that I've been called at work. Oh, uh, I've gotten everything. Back when I, you know, um, I did, when I used to work across the street from you. Yeah. Oh, God. Loser, wastoid. <laughs> Losers. <laughs> oh, you think you have a little power now? Oh, but it's, yeah, that, but it's that, like, that. yeah, I am a fucking loser. Like, that, that's the thing. It's like. <laughs> I have people, no problem with that. Well, no, I do have a problem with it. It's like, yes, you, you I mean, you described it accurately, yeah, yeah. but it's not about me being a fucking loser. It's it's about something else, which is like, I, just, I need to run this place properly, yeah. and you're not allowing that me to happen. Too. Yeah. Man, I, I could tell you some stories, and you could, there is. Oh, I have stories that, like, I wouldn't want to say, and things that I've just seen people do, some very funny, some scary, you know, but, like. Okay, I'm going to give you a quick one. I'm yeah. going to give you a quick one, and I, I'm, I'm, I can leave this in. I can leave this in. The place I used to work, mm-hmm. we have two locations, a store around yeah, the corner yeah, yeah. and then the restaurant. You take out from the store, no takeout from the restaurant. Okay? Yeah. And people give me a hard time about that all the time. Yeah. And I, I, I would have to explain. I was like, look, you know, we're not trying to compete with ourselves. You know, it's, it's complicated. Mm-hmm. I understand it's frustrating, but there's nothing I can do. And there was one customer for whom I would bend that rule. And that's Harvey Keitel. Mm-hmm. He was a lifelong customer, and he's Harvey Keitel. Yeah. He's one of the, my favorite actors of all yeah, time, yeah. and he's a nice guy, and he liked me, and he would, you know. So anytime Harvey would come in, I would do takeout for him, and I would personally prepare it. And one day... The, uh, Did somebody see you? So check this out. So <laughs> the, the, the server comes over to me. I'm the manager, and she says, look, um, this woman over at table 37 wow. is upset. She wants to get takeout, and I told her no, and she said, well, she just saw you do it for Harvey Keitel, so why you can't, you know, can't. And she, I was like, so what, she wants me to talk to her? Yeah. 
She's really upset. So I go over to the table. And I say, I was like, hey, how was everything? Everything's great. I want to get a takeout order. And I said, well, I'm very sorry, but we don't do takeout. And she goes, well, if I was Harvey Keitel, would you do a takeout order? And I looked right at her without missing a beat. And I said, yeah, I would. <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, no, and she goes, I, I, what? And I said, can you remind me what role you played in Taxi Driver? <laughs> <laughs> you, you gave it back to her. They yeah. don't like it when you give it no, back I said, to I said, her. I said, you really think, I mean, you want to talk about false equivalents. You think you deserve the same treatment as Harvey Keitel? Yeah. You fucking secretary? Or you don't. <laughs> Yeah, it's just like he's done something that's impacted your life. And also, for somebody like that, eating in a public place sometimes isn't a great I, thing. You, you know what I mean? You're so not Harvey Keitel. So, yeah. I'm not. I don't expect the same thing. You know, to- people coming up to him, you, you, sometimes you do, like, in the bar, you have to treat people a little differently because, you know, you'll have problems with weird people coming up to him and da da. you know. Wait, I've, I've, all right, we've gone far off topic here. I'm going to bring it back before we, we end things. When are you going to put a record out? I'll, I'll tell you right now. When you want to put a record out, I will put it out for you. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I got something in the works. Can you talk about it? No. But I know who I want on it. Yeah. It's going to be Ryan Sawyer on drums. Yeah. My old homeboy from the Texas. The baddest. Yeah. And Andrew Lafkus, who lives yeah. in Berlin now, who's my bro. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. So I want to do a trio record. You know, because... I've been listening to like Sonny Rollins and his trio shit. It's, it's just, the best. How he fills up uh, the situation and his movement on the horn. Yeah. Like I'm really big into how you play from note to note. That's something I got from Lacey. Uh-huh. The way that he goes from note to note is insane. Even when he's playing solo, his his rhythmic feel, which is very subtle, his timing is impeccable, and how he gets from one note to the note. You never miss anything. He's not shredding the entire time. Like when he plays Monk, I remember I was going to meet a friend downtown in Austin, go skating, and I had this uh, uh, one of those soul note, monk, uh, Lacey plays Monks. And I'm on my way down there, and the tape pulled out. It broke. I had listened to it that much. Mm-hmm. I didn't play back then. I just loved his sound. Hopefully now, I've actually coming into my own having a sound. Yeah, you know, and that's always been everybody I love. I don't care if they're bass players, what they have a particular sound. Yeah, you know, you gotta have a sound. That's 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 the thing. You gotta have a sound, and I'm not talking about oh, it's beautiful. I'm not talking about that. Yeah, I'm talking about a sound. Yeah, it's it's different than a description. A, a, you know an adjective describe oh, that's mm, that's nice you know i'm not i'm not yeah there's this charles ive quotes he's like people confuse beauty and music to something like uh their ears reclining in a lawn chair or something like that you know that's not like i don't give a fuck about that right that like very like kind of western like oh just be, be, I'm, fuck that there's so much that can go into it and beauty just isn't something that's easy Sometimes it can be something just, just brutal. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You know, just completely, utterly brutal. Yeah. You know? Uh, it can happen so many ways. Like, I think Albert Ayler's beautiful as shit. Yeah. You know? And that's like, I, I've always described Morton Feldman's music as beauty in its, like, unadorned rawness. You know, like when you hear a piece like Neither 
or something. When the fuck is going on with that? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it's just like you want, you want, I just want to make somebody feel the way all these people have made me feel. That's it. You know? And you can do it. Yeah. You can do it. Yeah. You know, and it's, and it's not this thing of like, oh, you know, because I mean, you know, I've worked in kitchens all over the place, you know, and, you know, I put in my tape of whatever and somebody just always oh, come over, you know, like, how could you like do that? You know, what the fuck, you know, this stuff, you know, or whatever. It's like, you know, it's, it's not random. It's most definitely not random and it's work. All these people, you can talk about talent, and it's work. It's work. You know, and it's work to hearing. Yeah. I've been taking voice lessons. Really? Yeah. I knew that, actually. I've been taking voice lessons because of hearing. Yeah. I want to sing everything that I play. You know, try to, like, sing, like, eh, you know, not like that. But, like, you know what I mean? I know like, what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To get it inside, that's... like, rhythms, like, it has to be internalized. And that's one of the things about the uh, black tradition in this country. And I think it comes out of very African thing. We don't forget the body. The body understands things. Mm-hmm. It's not just, it's, it, it's, it's, it's a holistic approach. I don't want to leave anything out. The intellectual, and that's not just intellectually uh, analytical. It's emotional. It's all these different things. All these things are a different form of intelligence. Intelligence isn't one thing mm-hmm. to me, and especially not in music, and especially not in the music that I play. You know, you have to like if, you know, when we're playing together, you know, you're not like, mm, you know, what what is that? You know, we're going for it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, and you got to be able to push through. It has to have that movement, you know, in it, and it and it has to be what it is. You know, and it's kind of like a lot of times you're kind of in the back seat. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like the best time I've played things or some weird fingering. And that's one thing people don't talk about. When you're playing in the heat of the moment, all the things that I've learned about the instrument from playing with people. Mm-hmm. Like, because you're in it hearing, you do something you've never done. Mm-hmm. You know, and what is that? You know, that's really interesting to me. Yeah. You know. Uh, and that happens often. Yeah. I feel like it's like... You need other people. It, it, it's not like where in like, you know, music, like maybe like if you're playing Baroque music the way that they uh, teach it now or whatever, or something where it's like a monological music, you know, so you have to have a certain technique to be able to play this the way that it's supposed to be played. That's coming from one person's perspective, whoever wrote the music. We're dealing in a dialogic music. It's a dialogue, you know? So there's all these other things that come into play that that don't have anything to do with that, Mm -hmm. you know? And it's just, it's amazing. Like, I mean, you'll never stop learning from it. It's just like, it's just weird. It's just, uh, it's awesome. Yeah. I'm super excited about it. Yeah. I'm glad you came over today, man. This is a long time overdue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, you have Dave Burrell on here. Did you listen to that? I haven't listened to it yet, but I'm going to. It's deep, man. I mean, it's kind of, having me on here, like, after him was a letdown. But no, like, man, no, it's deep. No, 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 know. no. But, like, no, that dude's huge. You know, and I didn't, I wasn't able to see him the other night. No, I mean, yeah. And everybody. Said it was amazing. Yeah. And Archie Shep. Can I say one thing? Yeah. A big influence on my playing is one, uh, you know, that uh, Impulse, Coltrane, Archie Shep. Yeah. 
that tune, Call Me By My Rightful Name. Uh-huh. Archie Shep's playing on that is ridiculous. I got to check back in with him because when I was young, like 22, mm-hmm. I heard about some anti-Semitic things he said, and I mm-hmm. just wrote them off forever. Yeah. And the couple of records I heard, I wasn't that into anyway, so I was yeah. like, fuck it, I don't need this guy. But yeah. I, I feel like I need to check back in with him. That tune, call me the title, Call Me By My Rightful Name, and his playing on that, it's almost like he's playing in a way that's like was totally then but it harks back to a kind of older period like just but it's you're not supposed to play that thin mm-hmm. you know but he just gets in these cracks that are just like oh yeah. and that is all that tune his playing on that has always been super huge for me i'm gonna put that on yeah call me with that tune is bananas Right on. Like that's one thing I go back that you know how you have all those tunes uh huh you know yeah 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 I've got my you know, tunes yeah you the tunes you go back to when you get bombed what are some of yours uh, well Stardust is the main one yeah tenderly yeah. um I can't get started yeah um over the rainbow yeah but like There's a lot I'm, of them but but I'm also talking about like certain people playing like him playing that yeah. Warren Marsh on his record Warren out playing uh. Uh, Lenny's Pennies, where he's like losing his mind. Yeah. Freddie Hubbard. Yeah. BP. Yeah. yeah, yeah. On high blues pressure for Bud Powell. Um, uh, almost anything Bud Powell did at his height. Um, uh, I mean, there's so many people, a lot of Taylor. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, there's just so many tunes that, like, when you get bummed on your playing, that you can go to. Or just like records, you know, just stuff, and you're just like, damn. Well, for me, the ultimate for what you just described yeah. is Folk Jazz by Bill Smith. Oh. You don't know that record? No, I don't. All right, we're ending this right now, and I'm going to fucking put this record on. No, do tell. Thank you, Patrick. <laughs> Thanks, man. Word. Patrick Holmes. Fuck, man. I love that dude. Patrick's the best, and uh, I just, I fucking dug that, and, I, you know, I would talk to him every week for the podcast if I could. I first asked him to be on the show uh, a very long time ago, and he was like, why? And I was like, dude, you're fucking funny, and I dig your playing. Let's do it. So it happened. Thank you, Patrick. Um. Look, if Patrick doesn't put a record out, I'm going to make records with Patrick. So that's going to happen. And uh, I hope you guys enjoyed that. Come out to the show this Wednesday at Arte and uh, go fuck yourselves. No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, I hope you guys are all cool. Come out and see me if you're in any of the uh, those southern cities that I mentioned. And um, good shit. All right. Talk to you soon. Talk to you next week. Next week's a good one. All right. Bye.